So let's jump right in. Um, we are close to wrapping up our series called Unveiling the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday is our last, last teaching of this series, which is crazy. We've been diving in for over two months on this topic. And uh, I believe that this topic is so, so important. I believe it's uh, just been a blessing for our church. I've heard of people just coming to break through just for this series, uh, people from different states listening in. Uh, and it's been really impactful. And, uh, you know, our, our desire um, for this series is literally what the title is, uh, is an unveiling of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I've shared a, a few weeks ago is, you know, when, when, when Jesus died on the cross, we, we know historically, we know biblically that the veil in the temple was torn. And this is a, a, a symbolic meaning that there's no more separation between us and God, that God's presence is no longer behind a veil. His presence now dwells within his people. And one of the things that I've said is it's almost as if ever since the church has been trying to put the veil back up. Okay, Holy Spirit's kind of weird. I don't really know what to do with this topic. Uh, I've seen people kind of, people who like the Holy Spirit are weird and I don't really want to associate with them. So what's happened is we've, we've almost tried to sew back the veil that Jesus torn on the cross. And our heart for this is, and I believe there, there's a mandate over our community uh, to make the Holy Spirit not weird. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to do weird things. I mean, if you read scripture, God does weird things, right? Jesus spits in the mud and rubs in someone's eye and they get healed. God's gonna do things that are outside of our wisdom. But at the same time, we don't need excess. We, 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 don't, we don't need to, to add our preferences and personality to the Holy Spirit because he's enough. And, and our desire here is we, we just want the fullness of God. We, we want a clear biblical understanding of the person, say person, of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Go back to sermon number one, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. And who knows, you have to know a person if you're gonna have relationship. And what's happened for so many of us is we've, you know, Jesus died, the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost, the, the church was birthed, and, 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 and we've been the, the inheritance of, of that moment and, and that trickle effect in, in, in Jerusalem. Now it's here in Lynchburg, and, and we're living out the gospel, and we're, we're walking in the ways of Jesus. We're living out the Great Commission. We're doing all of these things, which is amazing, but what has happened is we've neglected a person because it's uncomfortable. I'm going to dive into this uh, in a second of, of why, why we have to really understand this. But I just want to say, just, just before we, we jump into this, as I was praying for today, I feel like at the end of today, the Lord's going to do something. You could probably already feel that during worship. Anyone in agreement with that? At the end of service, the Lord's going to do something. And I really feel that in this room, that there, there are people who've walked into this room not being sure if they're even saved. 
But I actually sense from the Holy Spirit, there's people in this room that are doubting their salvation. And I feel like the Lord is saying that you're going to leave today having full assurance. Also in prayer, I was sensing that there's people in this room that are, are kind of, they're kind of done with Christianity. They're kind of burnt out. They're kind of ready to throw in the towel. You know, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe your parents were in ministry and, and you're surrounded by it. And now you're in college or now you're in a different stage in your life. And, you know, you're not really living under mom and dad's faith anymore. And, and you've been living in this tension where you're like, do I, do I really believe this? Do, do I really want to give up things to follow this person that I don't really know? And I feel there's this tension you came in today where, where, where secretly you've been wanting to throw in the towel. And I felt from the Lord that for those in the room today, the Lord is going to restore new excitement for Jesus again. So can we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. One more time, Holy Spirit, have your way. Let's start here in Ephesians 1.14. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to cover. Holy Spirit, please slow down time somehow. Let this all fit in. Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, Ephesians 1, uh, 14 says this, the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. Uh, we impact this verse a couple of Sundays ago, uh, but I really want to uh, emphasize this today to prepare us for what we're going to step into. But this verse is profound. Does anyone else think this verse is like really profound? <laughs> Paul is saying, God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within every believer today. And our relationship with the Spirit, listen, is a down payment or deposit of the fullness of what life will be like in eternity with Jesus. I want you to get this. Paul is saying, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've believed in the gospel, if you've given your life to Jesus 20 years ago, Two months ago, two seconds ago, if you've given your life to Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit and an assurance and a seal of your salvation and the eternity that you're going to receive with him. But not only that, he's showing us that the Holy Spirit living in you is a deposit of what you're going to experience in heaven. So relationship with the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, Scripture tells us that you can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Your fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you being led by the Holy Spirit, you knowing the person of the Holy Spirit, that very relationship with God, because He's God, remember, with God that you can experience here on earth is a taste of what we're going to have for all of eternity. And why there's people in this room who are doubting their faith, who are bored with Christianity, is because you don't realize the inheritance that you have. Why you are burnt out of Christianity, why you want to throw the towel in, why you've been following Jesus for decades and your marriage hasn't fixed, your habits haven't changed, is because you don't know the person. He gave you himself through his spirit to know him. Jesus says this, no one can know the Father except through me. And Jesus shows us no one can know Jesus except through the spirit. Oh, that was so good. 
Jesus says this to his disciples, it's better for you that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit won't come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll continue the conversation. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll continue my presence. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll continue my ministry through you. Guys, the Christian life is birthed through the Spirit. Doesn't matter what denomination you are, we all agree. You're born of the Spirit. You are saved because of the working of the Spirit who convicted you of your sin and then convicted you of your righteousness. This is in Scripture. You are saved because of the working of the Spirit. But you can only receive the inheritance that Jesus left for you through knowing the person of the Holy Spirit. You can't receive your inheritance by knowing theology. Guys, it's so important. I'm about to go ham on some theology today. <laughs> but that's not the door. Jesus says, I'm the door. <laughs> Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for eternal, eternal life, but you can't find it. It's only in me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, and no one can know Jesus except through the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our down payment of all we're going to receive in heaven. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who's ever prayed that prayer? It's an amazing prayer. Your kingdom, Jesus, is Jesus teaching his disciples and teaching us they ask, ask Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus gives them uh, his, his uh, prayer life blueprints. He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom. So his rule and reign. Pray that God's rule and reign and his will, your kingdom come, your will be done. So pray for God's rule and reign and God's will, plans, desires, purposes will be done on earth, listen, the same way it's done in heaven. Do you know what you are saying when you pray that? If you've prayed that prayer, you're charismatic. God, I want the rule and reign and will and plan and purpose of Jesus that is happening in heaven to dwell in my life on earth. That's a powerful prayer. What's in heaven? What's heaven? What does heaven look like? If we're asking for his kingdom and his will in heaven to come on earth, what, what does heaven look like? Heaven looks like full access to God in his presence. Heaven looks like extravagant expressions of worship. That's not my preference. Guys, I'm totally okay with stoic worship if that's what he told us to do. If that's what he modeled to us. What, uh, what else is in heaven? Freedom from sin. What else is in heaven? There's no sickness. There's complete wholeness. There's joy. There's peace. There's fulfillment. Listen, and there's spiritual realities. That last one. There's spiritual realities in heaven. 
There's immaterial things, there's angels, there's things that are spiritual that are not like what is tangible. So when you pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are praying for heaven, that heaven to come to earth. And how we can experience that is the down payment. That is the person of the Holy Spirit. And we've allowed this lie and this bad belief system to creep into the church today that the Holy Spirit is a weird thing. And I want you to see how damaging this is. We've allowed this belief system to creep into the church that the Holy Spirit is a weird thing. Number one, the Holy Spirit is not weird, he's holy. Number two, he's not a thing, he's a person. I want you to see how distorted that belief system is. I think every one of us can raise our hand to attest that we've seen that or experienced that or lived that or been in, in, in environments where that's kind of the reality. We don't, we don't really like touch Pentecost. Don't talk about that. Well, we don't, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, I mean, it's in there, but, you know, we don't want to talk about that because things get weird. Well, we, we don't want to talk about it because I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Do you know Jesus made literally everyone uncomfortable? <laughs> he spat in mud. He rebuked Pharisees. He flipped tables. He walked on water. They, they thought he was a ghost. They were freaked out. He spoke and storms stopped. He literally levitates into heaven. He ascends into heaven after he, his resurrection. Guys, he's going to make you uncomfortable. If you are never okay with being uncomfortable, you'll never experience your inheritance. You will never experience our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because heaven is very uncomfortable for us. We love our sin. We don't like, we don't like our sin being confronted because it's comfortable. Well, I, I don't like... I, there, maybe there's a spiritual realm. I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to like, it's in heaven. Read the book of Acts. People encounter angels all the time. It's super normal for them. Healing, wholeness, joy, fulfillment, that's heaven. but it's gonna have to be uncomfortable. And that's what I want you guys to understand. It's okay if it's uncomfortable. You will never grow if you live in comfort. You know, Jesus says this, that he, he gave his Holy Spirit to be a comforter. Do you guys know that verse? That the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Whenever we try to receive comfort from things that are contrary to God, it's an idol. 
because only the Holy Spirit is meant to comfort those deep places. And so when we let other things, ready, other things like our sin, other things like our, our belief systems that, that fit our preferences and, and fit, fit how I want to be seen and, and fit, you know, I, I don't want to worship because like I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be like lumped into that group of people. When, when we live in that box, in that reality, you'll stay in that place. What's happened is comfort has become your God. When the Holy Spirit says, I, I can't comfort you if you're already comfortable. Guys, how can the Holy Spirit comfort you if you're comfortable? So what does that mean? Well, there's this huge aspect of experientially knowing God that I'm missing out on because I'm, I like doing things my way. What does Jesus say? Pick up your cross and die and follow me. You cannot inherit the kingdom if you're not willing to die to yourself. And I know it's uncomfortable. It has to be uncomfortable. Death is not comfortable. Jesus hanging on the cross was not comfortable, church. He didn't die an uncomfortable death for you to just do whatever you want. And so what I want to exhort and encourage you today before we jump into what we're about to jump into is what we're going to jump into is going to be very uncomfortable is you have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Yes, take it to the Lord. Take it to scripture. Make sure it's, it lines up. Don't just, you know, we're going to do whatever and be crazy and swirl out just for the name of being un uncomfortable. But I want you to, to be confronted because so many Christians are missing out on their inheritance because they rather keep their, their comfort. All right, you guys ready? So today, I'm gonna to preach on the gift of tongues. Who is immediately uncomfortable? Raise your hand. Thank you guys for being honest. Come on, the Lord, the Lord honors that. It's an uncomfortable topic. 100%. 100%. It's super uncomfortable. It's super weird. I, I, I grew up Presbyterian, if you didn't know that. I grew up Presbyterian, cessationist, gifts ceased after Acts or after Scripture. I, I grew up in a context where, where this was like demonic. I thought this was demonic because that's just the belief system that, that I, I was used to because it was comfortable for me. Anything that is uncomfortable, it's demonic. Ah, uh, that's, that's uncomfortable. It's demonic. That's a demon. No, it's, it's not a demon. And so I, I just want to sympathize for those in the room that this is a very uncomfortable topic because it, it, it's so not like what we're comfortable with because it's heavenly. And because it's heavenly, it's different. But just because it's different, don't dismiss. Because I want you to know this is a part of that inheritance. This is a, a piece to help you explore the access of that inheritance. 
All right, we got a lot to cover. All right, so the gift of tongues, this is probably one of the most controversial gifts, but it's also one of the most taught on gifts by Paul. We're, we're about to cover almost every scripture in the New Testament today that speaks about tongues. My heart is to give biblical clarity on this topic and to show you the beauty of this gifts. I, I actually think that a lot of charismatics don't even understand how this gift operates. It's great that you operate in it and you have that experience, but we have to understand the theology of it to experience the fullness of it. But also, if we want to see other people empowered in it, we have to understand how it works. So 1 Corinthians 12, let's start here. Chapter, or, or verse one. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, I'm not gonna read all this, but this is Paul listing the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit, um, or, or the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. There's, I think, over 30 gifts of the Spirit if you include um, different categories. Paul talks about teaching and encouragement and, and serving and administration, teaching, all these other things are different categories. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives us a very clear list of nine manifestation power gifts of the Spirit. And he starts by saying this in verse one. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's starting this off. Do not be ignorant about this topic. This is for charismatics and non-charismatics. Do not be ignorant about this topic. Now, if you jump to verse seven, I want to just give this real quick. Paul says that, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. These gifts are for your good. Okay, it makes you uncomfortable, but trust that when he says it's for your good, it's for your good. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shifting or shadow. He's not going to give you something and then say, oh, I gotcha. So the gifts are for your good. I want to read 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13. This is uh, at the beginning of his letter. So remember, 1 Corinthians 12 is when he talks about the gifts. Now, in 1 Corinthians 2, this is almost at the beginning of his letter to the church of Corinth. He says this, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Listen, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So God gave you his spirit so that you can understand the depths of your inheritance. He gave you his spirit so you can understand the weight, the height, the depth, the width of his love, the height and the depth and the width of his glory, the height and the depth and the width of everything he wants you to have on earth. It's only through the spirit that we can understand. Now, verse 13, it says this. This is what we speak. Not in words taught, uh, taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Say spiritual realities. So what Paul is telling us before he dives into the gifts of the Spirit in, in, in chapter 12, he says that, that what he teaches in this letter are spiritual realities that can only be understood by the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand, like I said, what God has freely given us. That we cannot understand, listen, spiritual realities by our, by our own knowledge. We need the Spirit to illuminate truth to us. And so I want to pray before we go in that we're going to go through a lot of knowledge. and We're going to go through a lot of theology. But at the same time, you need the Holy Spirit to illuminate these spiritual realities to you. So I'm just gonna pray, Father, I pray right now that I in this room, if they've received Jesus, they have the down payment of heaven. They have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate spiritual realities to them today. Spiritual realities that they cannot understand in their own wisdom and let them be okay with not understanding it in their own wisdom. But I pray that something in their spirit would rise up that this is true. That something in their spirit would rise up, that it, they would actually start to understand these spiritual realities, these spirit-taught words, as Paul says. And so would you illuminate your word today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the gift of tongues. Let me define this. The gift of tongues is to speak a message for the church in a spiritual language that is interpreted. It also functions as a personal prayer language that is not understandable and is speaking directly to God. I encourage you guys, please take notes. This is gonna be really, really important. So before I jump in, I wanna give you some quotes of, of different people that are trustworthy who speak about the gifts, some people you may know. And I wanna start this just to you know, warm up a little bit, right? We're not like, Andrew is really weird. What is he talking about? These are other people that you know and, and probably trust and are trustworthy that talk about the gifts. The first is a, a man named Sam Storms, PhD. He is a theologian who's also charismatic. He's a pastor and he's a previous a divinity professor. And uh, he has amazing resources teaching on the gifts of spirit. If you want more uh, information, you can read his books and read his stuff. But he says this, he says, the gift of speaking in tongues that continues throughout church history and is so widespread today is the spirit-prompted ability to pray and praise God in a heavenly dialect that is not related to anything spoken on earth such as German or Swahili or Mandarin or English. The Holy Spirit personally crafts or creates a special and unique language that enables a Christian to speak to God in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. This gift is not a human language that one might encounter in some foreign country, but a spirit-empowered capacity to speak meaningful words that are only understood by our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, unless, of course, God provides interpretation through the speaking uh, or, or through another believer. All right, this is a guy with a PhD. This isn't just some guy on TikTok, okay? The next one, you ready? John Mark Comer. He says, tongues or these languages are a form of prayer and praise you express to God in a language you don't understand. Anyone love John Mark Comer? All right, if you didn't know that, he's charismatic. He has teachings on the gifts. You can listen online. Here's another one. You're gonna be surprised by this. Matt Chandler. He says this. Here's our definition of tongues. It is spirit-inspired utterance. I didn't, know, I didn't know that Matt Chandler was spirit-filled but he has lots of teachings on the gifts. So I want you to know, this isn't like a charismatic, like cool new thing that started in the last 100 years, right? Listen back to, to last Sunday, and we talked about how this continued throughout church history. Jesus talks about tongues in Mark 16, 17. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new, say new, new. 
new tongues. So two things. I'm going to fly through this because we've got a lot to cover. Number one, Jesus reveals that speaking in these tongues are for all believers. He did not say some of the signs. He says these signs will follow. The second is Jesus reveals that these tongues would be new, meaning they have never happened before. Speaking in tongues is a gift reserved for the New Testament believer. So why you don't see this in the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 says this. This is really, really important. I think this, this is going to clear up a lot of confusion that people have. It says this. There are different kinds of workings. This is Paul talking about the gifts. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So there's different kinds of workings. Every gift has a different type of working, meaning each individual gift functions in different ways, and they don't each fit one mold. Let me give you an example. So one of the gifts in, in the nine gifts of spirit is the gift of discernment, okay? There's different kinds of workings within each gift. So the gift of discernment of spirits, for example, can function for others in a corporate setting to lead the congregation through a spiritual blockage or barrier in worship. That's what I did today. Uh, it can function for others in the setting of deliverance of someone who's oppressed, whether we have that uh, uh, in our ministry time or you praying over someone. Uh, the gift of discernment can function that way. Uh, the gift of discernment can also function personally, right? You might be talking to someone and you feel something's off or you feel like the way they're talking to you, something's not right here. You can operate in the gift of discernment to understand, wait, what's going on? What's actually motivating them? What spirit may be uh, uh, affecting them in that moment? And then it can also function personally in figuring out what kind of spiritual attack is coming against you in your mind or your heart. So what I'm trying to show you, Paul says that these gifts have different workings. Okay? So we see that there. It can work corporately or personally. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, which I mentioned. Listen, and to another, various kinds, say various kinds. Various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. This is important. That if you read Paul's teaching on the gifts of tongues, it may seem confusing. Because sometimes he says, don't forbid speaking tongues, but then he says, don't speak in tongues unless you have an interpreter. But then he says, if you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking to God and not to men. But then he says, speak in tongues to men and it needs to be interpreted. Anyone confused? Right. So how does that, how can that all coexist? 1 Corinthians 12, 10. There are various kinds of tongues. Paul explicitly says here that the spirit manifests not just the gifts the gift of tongues, but various kinds of tongues. Let me say that again. He didn't just say you're going to receive the gift of tongues, but various kinds of tongues. Various kinds of tongues, other translations says different kinds of tongues. Right? This isn't saying different languages like Korean or Swahili or Spanish, but they're different types of these heavenly tongues, which we're going to dive into. So throughout the New Testament, we see that the gift of tongue, tongues function in four different ways, okay? So like we saw, there's different workings, there's various kinds of tongues, and in scripture, this is what I'm gonna highlight today, is there's four different functions of tongues that we see Paul talk about. And this is, this is why he can say this type functions this way, this one needs an interpretation, this one's talking to God, this one's not talking to God, this one you forbid, why there's that, all those different types of languages because there's 
four different types that we see in scripture. All right, the first one is tongues as a sign for others. This is public. This gift functions in public. Tongues as a sign for others. Let's read uh, Acts 2, 4 to 13. Is this helping anyone? Acts 2, 4 to 13, let's go there. This is the story of Pentecost. It says this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there, now there were staying in Jerusalem, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, right, of them speaking in tongues, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, right, from this very specific district? How, how, are, they, how are we hearing our native languages? Right, how is it that each of us, verse 8, hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Ju uh, Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. All right, so if you're taking notes, number one is one function of this gift is God enabling people to speak in tongues that end up being understood in another language as a sign. Okay? I think a lot of us, we may have heard, I've heard stories of this happening in the mission field. Uh, people uh, being overseas, they don't speak the language, the Holy Spirit gives them the gift of tongues and someone else from another native language is able to hear it in their language. Now, in this function, this is usually the function that, you know, most people kind of just land on. This is what the gift of tongues is, right? Because it's comfortable. Because <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Like we see that Acts 2, that makes sense to give tongues, it's, you know, speak different languages. Most people who don't really understand the gifts of tongues solely describe the gift of tongues as God supernaturally giving you the ability to speak in another language to share the gospel. Who's heard that? That's the definition of the gift of tongues. So that statement isn't fully incorrect because this is an aspect of its function, but it's an oversimplification that's incomplete. Let me explain why this is an oversimplification and why it's incomplete. Number one, based on Acts 2, why would we need the gift of interpretation if it's the supernatural ability to speak in another language? There wasn't anyone interpreting in Pentecost. The second, in verse eight, it doesn't explicitly say that those speaking in tongues spoke in native languages. It says that the listeners heard in their native language. And that distinction is being made. Number three, in verse 11, it says they didn't hear or verse 11, they didn't hear the gospel being preached. They heard them declaring the wonders of God, which is them praising and worshiping God. They weren't speaking in tongues and, you know, saying, Jesus died for your sins on the third day. They, that's not what they were doing. That's why people heard that and they're like, what's happening? Like no one was hearing the gospel. They, they saw a miracle. They saw a sign gift. You guys tracking? And it wasn't until after that that Peter started preaching the gospel and then people got saved. And so, this is an oversimplification of the gift of tongues. It's just, you know, the Holy Spirit supernaturally gives some people the ability to speak in languages that they don't speak 
to preach the gospel. That's not what's happening here, okay? The fourth thing is this moment in Acts 2 is actually the only time in all of scripture that we see the gift of tongues being understood in native languages. This is the only time. Every other time tongues is, is taught about, which we're gonna talk about in a bit, it's not talking about it being understood in a native language. It talks about it as, as uh, uh, unknown tongues, as uh, angelic utterances, as, as words that we can't understand. And in corporate settings, they need interpretation. In private settings, it builds you up, which we're going to talk about. So the fourth point of why that statement is an oversimplification is that in Acts 2, it's actually the only time in Scripture that we see the gift of tongues being understood in native languages. Every other time we see tongues is actually never used evangelistically. So if someone gets filled with the Spirit, and then boom, they start speaking in tongues. Besides this moment, and I would even say that this moment wasn't specifically for them to share the gospel. It was a sign to open a doorway for Peter to share the gospel. But still, one of its function, one of the functions of the gifts of tongues is the enabling of people to uh, speak in tongues and someone understand it in their native language. Okay. Oh, I'll give you a story about that. I shared this last, last week or the week before. Uh, my friend John Mark, he's a musician. And in one of his songs, um, he sings in the spirit. He sings in tongues in one of his songs. And um, he gets a, a, an email from someone all the way in the Middle East and was, and was essentially saying, hey, that's super crazy. I heard your song and I heard my language as you were singing, <laughs> right? So what's happened that moment, my friend John Mark was not speaking, you know, in another language. He was speaking in these these utterances and the Holy Spirit interpreted it for that person. Does that make sense? In their native language. They heard it in their native language. Okay. Um, the second is tongues with interpretation. This is also a public function of tongues. Sorry. This is also a public function of tongues. All right, this is the other one that we hear. Okay, if you're gonna speak in tongues, right? So tier number one is like tongues is only for the mission field and speaking native languages. That's like, Oversimplification number one, oversimplification number two is, okay, well, we see that it's in scripture, so we can't like ignore it, but if it happens in church, you need an interpreter, okay? And then we just kind of leave it at that. Like, it's gonna happen, you need an interpreter. Okay. First Corinthians 14, five says this. It's Paul, now I want you all to speak in tongues. <laughs> this isn't Andrew, this is Paul. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Right, Paul wants everyone to speak in tongues, not just some. A second point is another function is tongues that are interpreted, which edifies the church. This functions similarly to prophecy, okay? So tongues that is meant for a public setting, so let's say I'm on the mic and I just start speaking in tongues with the posture of I'm trying to communicate something to you. That has to be interpreted because it's for you, okay? Tracking, say with me. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So the third point is if you're speaking or praying in tongues, you can actually ask the Holy Spirit to give you the interpretation. Right? Paul encourages us to do so, whether that's corporately 
or whether that's in your alone time. So you can also give yourself an interpretation. You can interpret your tongues through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 to 23 says this. Okay, so this is where it gets confusing. And this is showing that there's different functions. So Paul says, tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Okay? Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. 23 says this. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, this is tongues for interpretation, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that, are you out of your mind? So it may seem like Paul is contradicting himself. Because at one point he's saying tongues is a sign for unbelievers, but then he says tongues is confusing for unbelievers. Paul is distinguishing different functions of the gifts of tongues. You gotta pay attention to this. In verse 22, he's talking about tongues as a gift, for, or sorry, as a sign for unbelievers. This can include uh, its function that we see in Acts 2 and Pentecost. But in verse 23, he says, if an unbeliever comes into your service and everyone is speaking tongues, it will be confusing for them. What he is referring to here is the function of the gift of tongues meant for interpretation. Tongues that is interpretive also can function as a sign for unbelievers. That was a lot. Okay. So Paul is showing us that tongues are for unbelievers, right? Which are tongues that are a sign, whether it's people miraculously hearing in their own language or tongues that end up getting interpreted. So let's say I'm on the mic, speaking tongues, and someone else comes up, hey, this is interpretation. If an unbeliever was in the room, they would hear that interpretation because if it was accurate, it was from God, and they would be like, oh my gosh, like that was crazy, that was supernatural. Okay. This was a, another story that I shared two weeks ago. You guys know who Billy Graham is? Okay. So Billy Graham in his early ministry, this is a story uh, about him. And in his early ministry, he started as a cessationist. He pretty much started, you know, the gifts of cease. They don't really operate. The gifts of spirit, you know, aren't accessible anymore to, to the church, all that. that. That's kind of where he started. So in his early ministry, he had a, a tent meeting. It wasn't one of his massive ones. But as the story goes, in his tent meeting, he, he's preaching a sermon. Time is running out, like what's happening for me right now. Um, time is running out and... He's like, okay, I, I got to rush. I, I got to finish my sermon. I, I'm just going to skip a few things. But, you know, if you've ever preached, it's kind of disappointing when you don't really get to finish all your points and, and all that. So he kind of just wraps it up. He, he, he's, he's praying to close it up because of time. And out of nowhere, someone in the, in the left side, shout out, starts speaking in tongues. And in his mind, as the story goes, he's like furious. He's ready to shut it down. This is not biblical, right? Maybe he's thinking this is demonic. I don't know. But he was like, because he was a cessationist, he was going to shut it down. This is where the story goes. Out of nowhere, someone from the opposite side of the room stands up and starts interpreting his tongue and finishes Billy Graham's sermon. Right? So if an unbeliever was in that setting, they would be like, what the heck just happened? Right? So it's in that function, it's a sign for unbelievers. Okay. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28 says this. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time. Okay? And someone must interpret. Remember, this is public. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Okay? 
Paul, what are you saying? This is specifically talking about tongues used corporately in front of a congregation. In context here, Paul is giving order to the church gathering because the church in Corinth had an excess of people speaking in tongues over the body and without interpretation, that function of tongues brought no edification. So if someone is speaking in tongues with the motive, listen, of it being for the body, it needs to be interpreted. Okay, so Paul says here, 28, if a bunch of people are from the stage or, or, or to the church speaking in tongues, a bunch of them at the same time, don't do that, right? So it's like if me, Isa, Jess was here, we'll all have a microphone, we're like, shut up. Paul says, don't do that, okay? Don't do that, do it one at a time. <laughs> and if you do it one at a time, there needs to be an interpreter. If there's not, then do it to, to yourself, to God. Huh. There's a distinction. You tracking? I know this is a lot. I need you guys to like use the other 90% of your brain. <laughs> so he's saying here, if it's corporate, then you're speaking to people with an interpreter. But if the, the motive and the purpose of you speaking in tongues isn't for people, then you can do it to God. You can privately speak to God. So there's a distinction. Remember, because he's like, it's just for unbelievers. Well, he's also showing it's not just for unbelievers. That specific function, it's the sign function, needs to be for unbelievers. Does that make sense? Okay, Holy Spirit will fill in the gaps. Um, So again, if someone is speaking tongues with the motive of being for the body, it needs to be interpretive. Motive matters in how tongues is functioning. The purpose matters in how tongues is functioning. Paul is not saying you can't pray in tongues privately at church. He's saying when you are speaking in tongues over the body, it needs to be interpreted. So if Issa's on the mic and she's speaking in tongues, if her purpose is to do it as prayer to the Lord, she can do it without interpreter. Because it's not for the body, even though the body's hearing it, but the, the purpose isn't for the body. Does that make sense? All right, you can ask in the Q&R two weeks from now if that you don't agree. Um, okay, the third one. This is the one that all the charismatics love. So the first two, right, is uh, tongues as a sign for others. This is public. Tongues with interpretation. This is also for public. But the third function that we see in 1 Corinthians is tongue as a prayer language. And this is personal. Tongues as a prayer language, this is personal. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says this. Okay, Paul's getting trippy again. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people. Paul, what are you doing, man? <laughs> right, it's like bipolar, what's going on? Okay, remember we just read, he says it's, it's, it's not for believers, it's for unbelievers. It's not for are you getting this? It's not for the purpose of reaching believers, but for unbelievers in that setting. Me speaking in tongues to myself isn't edifying any of you guys who are believers. Now, if me speaking in tongues privately or on the mic gets interpreted, then it does edify unbelievers and probably edify you as well, right? Similar to prophecy. So tongues as a personal prayer language. Let's go back here. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.2, can we put that up? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. 
This is the private prayer language function. Indeed, no one understands them. Well, in Acts 2, people were understanding them because that's one of the functions. They don't all function that way. Remember, you're given different kinds. No one understands them for they utter mysteries by the Spirit. There you go. For they utter mysteries by the Spirit. Remember, Paul said tongues is for unbelievers, not believers. And that needs to be interpreted when spoken church. So why is he saying that again? Here he's showing us the diversity of this tongues and another of its functions. So fourth, fourth point is tongues also functions as a personal prayer language that is speaking directly to God, not people. Tongues is a language, the fifth point, tongues is a language no one understands. So it's, it's not Swahili, it's not Korean, it's not Spanish, it's, it's not fill in the blank, I ran out of languages. Um, it's not a known language. Paul is saying this is not a language people can understand. But it is a language that, is utter, that utters mysteries by the Spirit. Okay, that's weird. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 to 15 says this. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Oh, we're, we're going. I need you guys to stay with me. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive because it does not understand what my spirit is praying. Then what am I to do? I pray with the spirit, by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will pray with the mind, using words I understand. I will sing with the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will sing with the mind, using words I understand. So the sixth point is that tongues is, praying in tongues is a new way for us to communicate with God that goes beyond our natural intellect. Your mind doesn't understand what you're praying, but God does. And I want to show you how beautiful this gift is. Who's ever been in moments where you know you need to pray, but you just don't feel like praying? <laughs> this is where the gift of tongues comes in. God, I just, one, I don't know what to pray. Two, I'm tired. Three, like, my mind doesn't work anymore. I've been working all day, but I feel disconnected. I feel like there's a problem. When you're praying in the spirit, it's okay because it, your mind doesn't need to understand it, but your spirit is understanding it. The same way when you read scripture, who's ever read scripture and you didn't understand you're in Leviticus, you're like, I don't get it, what's going on? But your spirit is getting fed, right? And I want to say this, you may not feel anything. A lot of us have this expectations, if you are speaking in tongues, it's like this like trance. Or you're like in worship, you're like, right? You just get like possessed by the Holy Spirit and you just start babbling. Paul, I want you to hear this, Paul is saying, I will pray in my understanding, and I will pray tongues. So Paul's will is doing it. Paul is choosing to do it. And this is what keeps so many people blocked from receiving this gift, is we, we think it needs to be this, like, supernatural, like, if I'm not, like, feeling, like, goosebumps and, like, which, I mean, I've known lots of stories. A lot of people here have had that experience where, you know, they didn't even ask for it. They didn't expect it. And God just presence fell in the room and they started uttering uh, uh, in, in mysteries of the spirit. But for a lot of people, it's not like that. Why? Because your mind. Ready? Your mind is unproductive. 
here's what's so hard. We want our mind to be productive when we're speaking in tongues. That's not its purpose. It's not for your mind to be productive. It's for your spirit to be productive. It's for your innermost being, the one who is one with the Holy Spirit. Who you really are is who you are in your spirit, by the way. Is actually being, is, is actually the one that is praying. Okay. Is this, is this good? So praying in tongues, again, is a new way for us to communicate with God that goes beyond our natural intellect. Your mind doesn't understand what you're praying. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, a person who speaks in a tongue is strengthened personally. You are strengthened personally when you pray in your prayer language. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So he's making a distinguish of this gift being public and this gift being personal. When you pray in tongues for yourself unto God is actually strengthening. So point number seven is praying in tongues edifies and builds you up. I want to read this. Some of you guys may have heard this. Holy Spirit, slow down time. And you guys start praying in tongues. Um, so this is actually really interesting. You can look this up. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. But there's actually been neurosurgeons who have studied people's brains who are speaking in tongues. Do you guys know this? They aren't believers. They just saw this as a thing happening in the church. So they wanted to study what is happening in people's brains when they're speaking in tongues. All right. Carl Peterson, MD, a brain specialist, conducted a study examining the relationship between the brain and praying or speaking in tongues. He found that as we pray in the spirit or worship in the spirit, the brain releases two chemical secretions that are directed into our immune system, giving a 35 to 40% boost to the immune system. I'm not done. Take that, cessationist. All right. All right, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. All right. This promotes healing within our bodies. Interestingly, this secretion is triggered, listen, sh- sh- from a part of the brain that has no other apparent activity in humans and is only activated by our spirit-led prayer and worship. You want another one? This is from Francis Robbins. It says this, that the data in this study suggests that glossolalia, which is the Greek for speaking tongues, is associated with a reduction in stress in response to normal stressors and significantly associated with positive mood and calmness. Clearly, the reduction of stress is very helpful to one's immune system and entire health. Uh, uh, they did another study involving a thousand clergy members of a British evangelical group. The researcher found that 80% who practiced speaking and praying in tongues had greater emotional stability and less neuroticism. So what does the Bible say? A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. All right, Romans 8, 26 to 27. Guys, this is why Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do you know he says that? If your church has for, forbid speaking in tongues, it's a sin. Not, don't say go crazy with it and be a circus. There's order, Paul gives order. But if you forbid a manifestation of the spirit, you're sinning. It also says, do not quench or extinguish the spirit. All right. Romans 8, 26. 
the 27, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes through, for us through wordless groans. Does that say in Korean? Through wordless groans, 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is so good. Number eight, praying in tongues allows the Holy Spirit to intercede through us in moments of weaknesses. When you do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit in you, who is God, knows the will of God. And he actually prays with you and through you the perfect will of God. What does Jesus say? Pray my kingdom and my will be done. So when you're praying in the Spirit, what's happening in moments of weaknesses, if you've ever been in a situation where, where, man, you're in a tough spot, or, man, you're just really broken and you're struggling, Paul's saying this gift strengthens you, but not only that, when you, when you operate in this, this, this function of the gift of tongues, what's happening is that the Spirit is helping us in our weaknesses, because we don't know what to pray for, but the, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans in accordance to the will of God. Uh, Michael Miller, he, if you know him, he's a pastor of Upper Room, and he talks about tongues, and he shares this thing that I think is super funny. He says, you know, whenever someone asks me, hey, how can I pray for you? This is what he says. Just pray in tongues. If you want to pray for me, just pray in tongues, because when you pray in tongues, the Spirit is praying the perfect will of God. All right. Oh gosh, nine minutes. Here, here's a story. Um, where I've seen this function in my life uh, about seven years ago, uh, before Breakthrough started, I was in Las Vegas working with a missions organization and was experiencing the gifts of the Spirit for the first time. They were activated, they are working my life, we're seeing people healed on the streets, we're operating in prophecy, all this stuff. I remember this one moment, I was in the prayer room and uh, I was filled with the Spirit months before, but I, I never spoke in tongues. We'll talk about that eventually. So I never spoke in tongues and, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and you know, he's, he was giving me utterances and I like kind of say it, and I was kind of awkward, you know what I'm saying? Which, who knows, knowing every new language, you're gonna sound awkward. You're no one's fluent out the gate. Same thing with tongues. So it was awkward, and I was like, Lord, this doesn't like flow. He's like, just say it. I'm like, I mean, this is weird, but it's in scripture. So I started doing this, and I was in my Bible, and you know that like classic like church camp thing? I'm like, God, if, if it's you, open the right page. <laughs> like the wind's blowing, and it's like, you need to repent. Um, so I did that, and it went to the book of Joel, where it talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The young men will dream dreams, old men will prophesy. And I was reading and immediately I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I started, in my will, choosing, but I felt the Holy Spirit almost like wind pushing me to do it. Started speaking in tongues and it felt like I was fluent. It was flowing. And what happened in that moment, the Lord gave me a deposit of his will. You need to bring this back to Lynchburg. And it was in that moment that the Lord told me to start Breakthrough House Church. It was six years ago. You're here today because the Holy Spirit was 
interceding and revealing the will of God in that prayer room when I was speaking in tongues. All right, the last one. Six minutes. Guys, this is why we need a building. You start praying. Um, The fourth and last one is tongues as a form of praise. This is personal, right? If you've ever heard the the phrase, sing in the spirit, right? He's like, sing in the spirit. And I was like, I don't know what that means. This is what it is. Tongues as a form of praise. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 to 16 says this. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, so you can praise God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of inquiry say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? So singing in tongues functions the same way as speaking in tongues. It comes down to motives and purpose. If you are singing with the purpose of it being meant for men, then singing in the spirit needs to be interpreted. I had a worship leader asked us, Pastor Andrew, am I allowed to like sing in tongues in the mic? I was like, well, it depends. Are you singing in tongues because you're, maybe you're trying to sing over the congregation? You know, Father, um, you know, let's say we're at a spontaneous moment. We're like, Father, I pray right now. Or that's not really singing, that's praying. I'm not gonna sing. But let's say someone's singing like, Abba, he's in the room and he wants to minister and he wants to love you and show you his love. Right, that's, that's for the room. So if the motive is singing in the spirit with that posture for the room, it needs to be interpreted. But if they're singing the spirit to God, remember, if it's to God, it doesn't need to be interpreted. Okay. Again, if singing in tongues is done directly unto God, as it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, then it doesn't need to be interpreted. Acts 10, 45 to 46, this is an example in the book of Acts of someone being filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues. It says this, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit, remember, this is believers, so this isn't, this isn't a sign gift, this isn't, there's believers, there was an interpreter. The believers came with Peter and they were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. So tenth, the last thing is, lastly, you can sing in tongues, which draws you into intimacy with the Lord and into his presence. This is another avenue of praise that you can give to him. There's something really powerful when you sing in the spirit, when you sing in tongues. Because remember, your, your mind may not understand, but your spirit is being strengthened. All right. So that is the, the fourth and the last function that we see in scripture. So I have the list of all 10. You can take a picture of it that we went over, or I guess four, four at a time. I'm not going to read all this. If you want to take a picture, you can do that. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, next slide. I want to read this quote by Jack Hayford, and he condenses all of this very, very well. He says, the gift of tongues, public ministry, right, the public gift, is limited in distribution, and its public exercise is to be closely governed. Well, the grace of tongues, which is the personal tongues, is so broadly available that Paul wishes that all enjoyed its blessing, which includes distinctive communication with God, edifying the believer's private life. 
and worship and thanksgiving with beauty and propriety. So this is where we're going to end. Two minutes. Gosh, I hate this. I'm going to read these verses. I just want you to listen. First Corinthians 14, 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. First Corinthians 12, 31 says this, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. First Corinthians 14, 39, therefore my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongue. First Corinthians 14, 18, this is Paul. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. That humble brag. Guys, Paul spoke in tongues. Let's sink in. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5 says, Now I want you all, Paul says this, to speak in tongues. I want you all to reap the benefit of this gift and this grace. To see this function, yes, work in a corporate setting, but I want you to see this personally. Because it builds you up. It strengthens you. It allows you in moments of weaknesses to know the will of God. It brings you in places of deeper intimacy with the Lord. I, I, I love Kristen. Where was Kristen at? She shared a testimony a couple weeks ago that when she received the gift of tongues, it, it was almost like she, she stepped into a, a layer of intimacy with the Lord. She never, never went and never knew it was possible, and it marked her life. And so I want you to see this. Yes, it's weird. Yes, there's mystery. Yes, there, there's a lot of things that we can't fully, you know, we're, we're piecing together as much evidence as we can. But there's more than enough evidence. This isn't like one random verse, right? This is not one random verse that someone does and then we build a whole theology and church around it. Paul gives us, I mean, I don't even want to count, like 20 scriptures about tongues. That's more than some other topics that we die on hills on. So, how do we receive the gift of tongues? Six, six ways. Let's stand up. Can we have keys? Can you write this down? You can take a picture of it. But how do we receive the gift of tongues? First is you must trust in Jesus. You cannot receive this gift if you are not a believer. Second is you have to have pure motives for wanting it. If your motives is not love, Paul says this, that, that out of all these gifts, these will fade away, but love will remain. If, if love isn't your motivation, love for the body to be edified, love for the lost to be reached, love for God to be worshiped and praised in new layers of intimacy, if, if you don't have pure motives, it's gonna be hard to receive. You have to have pure motives for wanting it. The third is you have to eagerly desire and ask. You have to ask. My favorite life mottos from scripture is you have not because you ask not. During pre-service prayer, Sarah, she had this word that there's people in this room that have automatically disqualified themselves from receiving this gift because they don't feel like they're chosen. Why, I'm not chosen. I mean, I, this just isn't for me. 
that this, is, this isn't for me. I, I, you know, I, I'm wrestling if God even loves me, so I, I'm just, I'm gonna forfeit this. This very much so may be the thing to propel you into greater intimacy. The fourth is you have to let go of control and move into faith. I promise you, if this, if this wasn't so clear in scripture, I wouldn't be preaching here today on this topic. I would preach on something else. But it's so clear. It's so clearly evident, guys, that if we say we're a Bible-believing Christian, that means all of scripture, even the uncomfortable parts. It's great, you have a biblical viewpoint on marriage, that's awesome, but you can't build a Christian. You can just choose and pick what you want, what accessories feel right, what, what looks good on me, what fits my lifestyle, what doesn't. No, it doesn't work like that. You die and you pick up your cross and you follow him and all of him. Can you leave that back up, please? So the fourth is you have to let go of control and move into faith. You cannot receive the gifts based on your works. It doesn't matter if you think you deserve it or not. It's a gift that is freely given. So you have to let go of control and move into faith. Fifth is you have to press into his presence. Sixth, this is important, the last one, is you have to listen. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And from my experience, a lot, of, a lot of people experience sometimes it's just a moment they're praying and it just comes out. For some people, the Lord is telling them what to say. Say this, say this, say this. It might give you syllables or a phrase. It might sound awkward and comfortable. But if he's telling you to say it, you have to be attentive to hear. And then you have to yield. Here's the last thing. And then you have to choose to speak. You have to choose to speak. Guys, God is a gentleman. He does not force his love on people. He does not force people to receive gifts. If it's forced, it's not a gift, it's a curse. If you want it, you have to desire it. And if you want it, you have to step into it. Okay, God, this is weird. I hear, I, I feel like I'm hearing the Lord telling me to speak in tongues. I'm just gonna do it. I may be wrong. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but you have to step into faith and you have to speak it. Okay, I'm gonna pray. I'm just ask that the Holy Spirit would give you the gift of tongues. Let's leave this up. And I want you to, in your heart, just filter yourself through this. And there's not a lot of time, so some of you I encourage you, take this, go home, sit alone in your, in your room and ask the Holy Spirit. But I'm just pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you release the manifestation of tongues right now in this room. Though we see in your word that this gift is for our good, for our benefit, that this is a gift that strengthens us and edifies us and edifies the church. This is a gift that allows me to worship you and, and, and to know you and to discover your will in ways I didn't know. Lord, I pray right now, would you release the grace of tongues right now over this room? Would you release the grace of tongues? Lord, would you allow them to move past their understanding that this is not gonna come and you're just gonna logically understand it. It's gonna require faith. Everything in the kingdom is only received through faith. The same way you received Jesus, it was through faith. The same way you're gonna speak in tongues is through faith. We're not gonna force anyone. We're not gonna lay hands on you. We're not gonna push you down. It's between you and Jesus. If he wants to give it and you want it, then you receive it. Lord, I pray right now that you would just give utterances 
Because this is a safe place. This is a safe place to look weird. This is a safe place to step in. No one's judging. Holy Spirit, would you release these utterances? Would you speak phrases? I pray that your presence would rest and empower people, that there would be people in this room who are doubting, who are wrestling, who are wanting to give up, and I pray that you would just give them this gift so evidently that they can't ignore that it's you. Would you just, just your presence rest on them right now? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. If you pray in the Spirit, I want you just to pray right now. Just start interceding for those in the room that they would receive this gift. Just pray to God. This is to God. This is to God. This is to God. This is to God. Lord, would you just move past people's pride and people's intellect. Lord, we want all that you have for us, even if it's uncomfortable. Lord, we want all that you have for us. We want all that you have for us. We want all that you have for us. I pray that you would unlock depths in people's relationships with you right now as you deposit this gift. Lord, I pray right now that there would be a yieldedness. There would be a yieldedness. There would be a willingness to step in. There would be a willingness to be like a child. Jesus says, if you want to inherit the kingdom, you have to be like a child. There is a childlike faith that has to be stepped into to operate in the gifts because it moves past our intellect. Lord, would you just start to edify people? Edify people. Edify people. That people would just start to feel strengthened in this room. People who are weak right now, who are struggling right now, emotionally, mentally, I pray that you would release stress as they pray in the spirit I encourage you if you want to sing in the spirit sing in the spirit if you want to sing in the spirit sing in the spirit just worship him in your heavenly language just worship him come on he's stirring faith this is a safe place he's stirring faith if you sing in the spirit sing in the spirit Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just, we, we desire you, Jesus. We just want you. We just want you. It's not about the gift. It's about you and all that you have for us. We don't want to miss out on any aspect of our inheritance. Thank you, Father, that you love to give good gifts. You love to give good gifts. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We thank you that you desire to give good gifts to your children. That you, you don't want us to be lacking on this side of heaven. That there is a deposit, an inheritance, an aspect of your kingdom that you want to give to your children right now. Holy Spirit, would you just release? Would you release the gift of tongues? Would you loose people's tongues? Thank you, Lord. Stir faith, stir faith, stir faith, stir faith, stir faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. You are so good. You are so good. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Father. Thank you for sending the Spirit. That people will start to feel built up right now. Would your presence just rest right now? 
Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't have to be weird. Remove the weirdness, remove the discomfort. I pray that people would actually feel peace right now as they pray in the spirit, that you would confirm, Lord, that this is of you by allowing them to feel your peace. Your word says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. When you operate in the gifts in order, there is peace. Thank you, Lord. Just for you, Jesus. It's all for you. It's all for you. Thank you, Lord, that you're unlocking. You're unlocking these gifts. You're unlocking these gifts. Thank you that it doesn't have to be intense, that it can be peaceful, that it can be light, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Let it just be light. Let, let, let this gift be light. Let it not be burdensome. Or we remove any shame right now. Any bad experiences around this gift. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just strip off past experiences, preconceived notions. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you give them a purified perspective of your word and what you say. God, if it's in your word, then we submit to it. God, if it's in your word, then we want to submit to it. God, we need to say right now that, that we repent if we forbid the spirit of tongues. Lord, if we forbid the speaking of tongues for ourselves, Lord, we repent of that. Lord, if we've quenched your spirit, Lord, we repent of that. We want all of you and all of us and all the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I pray right now that there would be people would feel like it flowing out of their mouth like rivers of living water. Let it flow. Let it feel light. <laughs> Let it not feel forceful. Let it feel light. Let it feel easy. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. Paul says, I will speak in my understanding and I'll speak in tongues. I'll pray in my understanding and I'll pray in tongues. So pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Just pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord. He's building you up. He's building you up. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father. Thank you, Father, that it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be forceful. Thank you that your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would explain the spiritual realities that are taught with spirit-taught words. 1 Corinthians 2. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you explain and would you reveal these spiritual realities that our mind is not cognitive of. Lord, we just affirm that you are so big that we can't fit you in a box. Lord, we repent for fitting you in a box. That the very God that said, let there be light and spoke creation into existence lives inside of you. Think about the authority and the power that he has for you to step into. His word says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he. Thank you, Lord. So Jesus, we just honor you. Can we just lift our hands? Let's just thank Jesus and honor him. Jesus, we honor you. We thank you. This is about you. This is not about a gift. This is not about us. This is about you. 
This is about you being glorified, you receiving the honor. This is about humility and submission to your Lordship. Jesus, we want all of you and all of us and all the world. Can we say that? Jesus, we want all of you and all of us and all the world. Come Holy Spirit. Would you move upon your people? Would you start to release these gifts, these manifestations for the common good, for their common good, for this church's common good, for their family's common good, for the parents, for the children, for the roommates, for all of our common good. We want all the tools, all the gifts, all the equipping that you have for us. Thank you, Father. We love you. We worship you. We honor you in Jesus' mighty, holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, we can do better than that. Let's give it up for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So good.